Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, thank you for revealing to us the things that are to come. And uh, thank you for blessing us to be prepared to cooperate with you in these days. Thank you that you are sovereign and that you work all things together for our good. And uh, Lord, we love you and we appreciate you and we ask you to Open our eyes and ears in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue with Beasts to Bring in the Harvest, number two. And I'm going to start off with a revelation that was given to me back on 8-18-2010. Poisoning the Crops. In a dream I saw some large, beautiful strawberries, which I tasted, and they were great. I began to examine one of them and saw inside of it a dead fish in the middle of black-looking mud with trash all around it. I shared this on a broadcast and got some feedback. Felipe said, um, I was reflecting on your dream about the strawberry, and I felt that the meaning of the strawberry is indicating the time of the year, early spring, where the poison would uh, make its way into the market. Um, well, this depopulation effort has been going on for a long time, and it's in overdrive right now because people are waking up and they can't afford that and so they will do anything they can to stay in power, right? Amen. And uh, as we can see, they have no regard for life whatsoever. So uh, Betty pointed out that some strawberries are genetically altered with fish genes. That's why they saw the fish in the strawberries. At the time, I didn't know that. Um, I don't know if the fish genes will be a problem or not, but I am sure that the crops are being poisoned by chemtrails, environmental disasters, and GMOs, and it will be hard to know when this is in your food, but God has a solution, right? Learn to bless your food by faith. First Timothy 4 and 1 says, But the Spirit saith expressly that in the latter times some shall fall away from the face, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and commanding to abstain from meats which God created to be received with thanksgiving by them that believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, 
for it is sanctified through the word of God and prayer. Do you believe it? Do you believe you have authority to sanctify your food uh, by this word here, for instance, and um, the prayer of the faith, right? Verse 6 says, If thou put the brethren in mind of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished in the words of the faith and uh, the good doctrine which thou hast followed until now. And also in this dream, we were in a war, and the enemy's weapons were large plastic tanks uh, with metal straps around them. Well, these remind us of what's out there so often, um, these plastic tanks. Uh, for instance, we use them at Exxon to store hazardous chemicals. The plastic is impervious to most, uh, even acids and so on and so forth. And so they used them a lot. And, uh, they all had these, uh, metal straps around them. The chemtrail planes, I've seen pictures of the insides of them and, uh, they're filled with plastic containers that contain these hazardous chemicals. Also, I had a gift to move people out of harm's way in this revelation. And when they stood beside me, we transported to a safe place. I mentioned, and we don't even have wings in the revelation. Um, there's obviously a gift of translation going on here, but also when people stand next to me, meaning stand where I do in regard to the gospel of preservation, they are taken to a safe place. You know, if we drink any deadly thing, it won't harm us, or the word of the Lord says. And of course, that means eat too. You can bless your food, you can bless your air, you can bless your water um, in Jesus' name. And when we abide in Jesus through faith in his promises, we are in the Psalm 91 secret place of the Most High, because he has taken us away, he has taken away our curse, Galatians 3 and 13. This faith delivers us from the curses of this world, amen, it does, believe it, so um, we're going to call this Earth-Shattering Contamination, Lana Galchenko, 2.18.23. I dreamed that I was looking at a blue sky, and out of the corner of my eye I noticed a darkness. I turned around and the sky was absolutely black. For a moment, I couldn't believe the possibility of such blackness after seeing the blue. I began to look for the source of blackness and saw a burning tower. It looked like a, a metal silo, and it was full of crude oil. Hmm. Well, crude oil is full of all kinds of things that has to be gotten out of it in most cases. Um, and metal silos, we're very familiar with those. I, I worked at Exxon. I worked in the tank farms, uh, alongside the Mississippi River, just tank farm after tank farm there. And, um, a great fire, um, 
she said, had erupted on top of it. And they were using a crane to try to put a lid on it in order to put it out. The lid kept spinning, but they were finally able to place it on. Uh, for a moment, it looked like they succeeded, but then the whole thing collapsed and the ground shook as if an earthquake was happening. Many other buildings started to fall as well. Well, I'm sure there's more to this than what I know, but what I know is what Lana doesn't know, and that is uh, she described a tank fire in a tank farm. These tall metal tanks um, had floating roofs to keep vapors from uh, collecting. In other words, if the roof is floating on the liquid, there's no room for vapor, which is very dangerous, obviously. Um, the floating roof had a seal around the outside edge. That's how they float, and they seal the vapors in, right? A seal around the outside edge. And these would occasionally be hit by lightning and um, catch fire. And um, I was a part-time industrial fireman for Exxon. Uh, they sent me to Texas A&M and Louisiana State University um, every, well, usually once a year for refresher courses to keep up on the latest of how to fight these kinds of fires. And um, we would use a crane, just like in her revelation, with a fire hose to put these fires out. Uh, putting a lid on it means that the fire hoses were spreading foam uh, in the top of the tank in order to cut off the fuel uh, from the air so that the fire goes out. Lana also described a blevy, which would feel like an earthquake shaking the ground. Um, in a tank fire where the seal is leaking, water put on the fire would go through the seal to the bottom of the tank. And uh, the longer you fought the fire, the more the temperature reached downwards towards the bottom of the tank. And this had to be watched very carefully. Uh, when the temperature reached the water at boiling point, it would multiply at 1,600 times as it turned uh, to steam suddenly. This is a sudden eruption. They call it a blevy. Okay. And this is a tremendous explosion which would blow all the hydrocarbons out of the tank um, on fire and um, kill everybody around it, including all the firemen, and could devastate buildings in the area. We trained to make sure that this didn't happen. Okay. So if you haven't put the fire out before the temperature reaches the bottom, the only thing you could do is run. <laughs> as far and as fast as you can, right? And um, so that's what she described there, you know, and these tank fires, especially the crude oil, 
has all kinds of very deadly chemicals in it, which, of course, they try to get out. Uh, but in that raw state like that, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, poisonous gases can escape and so on and so forth. We've seen people die just driving around, um, the tank farm when they didn't know they went into a cloud of gas that had been released, you know? Yeah. So this next thing is I want to share with you is, uh, we called it a removing of things that can be shaken. You reckon, you see that from Hebrews, right? And Habakkuk. And um, anyway, uh, this was given to Prophet Ken Dewey, February the 18th, 2023. He said, I heard this. I will remove out of the way things that hinder and offend. I will shake them off their foundations, and they will fall down. This is uh, the great earthquakes that will, I believe, will circle the globe, which the Lord has shown us in dreams and visions. Um, great earthquakes, uh, ripping the mantle of the, um, the earth. Um, I will then open up a great door, he says, effectual to my one's working, for the many obstacles from before will be removed for a time. I think that this is the short time of relative respite uh, for God's people that uh, President Trump will bring before the saints are made war on by the beast. And I then will work a mighty work before the great day of judgment, which will come upon the earth to try all men. Well, this is the great and terrible day of the Lord that the Bible says lasts for one year. It comes after the seven years. And there's one more year that people don't talk about or know about. Uh, but it's identified in Isaiah 34 and 8. A year of judgment um, for the cause of Zion, right? No doubt the things that will shake down can only be removed out of the way by me, for their force is too great for anyone else to handle. Well, this is something I've believed for some time that really um they're not going to be able to conquer Babylon. This will have to be an act of God, kind of like uh, Pharaoh at the Red Sea. You know, in fact, it's compared to that in Scripture. So at this time, the deep state Babylonish beast um, has embedded itself in all of the earth. And I have believed that the alliance will not be able to finish the job. But the Lord will intercede as he comes in the man-child reformers who will speak prophetic words for the Lord, which will devastate the enemy. And uh, Ken went on to say, I am that I am, and once more I will shake both heaven and the earth, and all men will see my reasons coming forth. Yep. God will get the credit for the fall of Babylon as it was for Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. The nations took notice 
of what God did at the Red Sea, a phenomenal uh, judgment that only he got credit for. So, and then Ken gave these uh, scriptures that he posted, Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made and that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and, and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And he goes on to say, I have posted this word as I heard it coming forth, I only <clears throat> I only speak what I hear and have permission to write. I now look with anticipation of a new day coming to work and run with great victory. Well, and we got this revelation here. We called it Time is Running Out. And uh, Winnie Asagata shared this, 2.21.23. And she said, Something interesting happened on the evening of 2.21.23. Zoe, that's her daughter, um, sleepwalked out of her bedroom, which she never does. And when I ushered her back into her room, I noticed that she had an hourglass in her hand. <laughs> and the sand was getting low. I knew the Lord was saying that time is running out and to redeem the time, for the days are evil. Amen. My husband Chuck told me to get a verse by faith at random in his Bible, and I received Acts 4.11. He is the stone which was set at naught of you, the builders, which was made the head of the corner. So we're running out of time, uh, I would say, to be in the man-child and the bride bodies. And uh, when they are manifested, and um, judgment will fall. So running out of time to escape judgment and to be in one of these bodies that do escape judgment. Uh, the Alliance has been fighting to remove the deep state element, resisting their depopulation campaign, as we can see. I got this revelation I want to share with you. Uh, EPA still hasn't studied how pesticides disrupt human hormones 27 years after Congress demanded it. I just let you know somebody else is actually running things here. 
This was given by Nate Seltenrich. 227-23. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's failure to implement the Endocrine Disruptor Screening Program, uh, testing of the effect of pesticides used in food production on human hormones, led to a lawsuit filed late last year by a group of nonprofits. In 1996, Congress ordered the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, to test all pesticides used on food for endocrine disruption by 1999. The EPA still doesn't do this today, nor does it appear close to be doing it, um, argued the plaintiffs in a lawsuit filed against the agency in December of 2022 for its ongoing failure to implement the endocrine disruptor screening program. So, you know, the deep state, of course, uh, has been in control here, and uh, they just, um, they're lawless people. They don't care about the law. They have power. Uh, so, as of the time of this filing, more than 25 years after the passage of the Food Quality Protection Act, the EPA has yet to implement the endocrine disruptor screening program it created and further has failed to even initiate endocrine testing for approximately 96% of registered pesticides. The lawsuit states, Hmm. This is clearly their depopulation agenda, right? <clears throat> Experts say such screening is vital to protect people's health as endocrine disrupting chemicals, compounds that can uh, block, mimic, or interfere with the proper functioning of hormones have been linked to a variety of health problems including obesity, diabetes, respiratory issues, some cancers, and negative impacts on the nervous, reproductive, and immune systems. However, other than a draft white paper updating a single aspect of the program this January, coincidental timing, EPA Deputy Assistant Administrator for Pesticide Programs, Yahweh, yep, that's right, Yahweh, called Jake, a lie, told uh, Environmental Health News, EHN, the Endocrine Disruptor Screening Program has appeared dormant since 2015, which also was a twist in the truth. Anyway, that year, almost two decades after its inception, the program released its first batch of test results. Among 52 pesticides screened for endocrine disrupting activities at the time, a tiny fraction of the more than 1,300 pesticides now registered by the EPA. How can they register it? How can they, you know? Um, were found to warrant uh, additional testing. 18 of these were found to warrant additional testing. But that testing never occurred. 
and those pesticides are still in use. And, and Lai said the January white paper, which proposes two new test methods that don't re rely on animal assays, is an important milestone. He also promised more to come later this year. However, other than citing unsuccessful attempts by the Trump administration to defund the endocrine disruptor screening program, he didn't comment on why it's taken so long to get it off the ground. Well, further on in this article, which we haven't included here, they mentioned that the EPA is still receiving $7.5 a year for this program that is doing nothing. That's why he want, uh, Trump wanted to end it. Why pay these people to kill people, right? Uh, this is a program that has been ignored for 25 years, essentially. Pega Mosavi, a lawyer with Washington, D.C. Nonprofit Center for Food Safety, told EHN. The Center for Food Safety brought the lawsuit against the EPA with fellow plaintiffs. I guess because of a little bit of a change in the political atmosphere, they thought they could get away with this in these days. We will see. Rural Coalition, Pesticide Action Network, North America, and Center for Environmental Health. We started looking into it last summer and recognized just how egregious the entire issue was, Mosabi said. Uh, it's impacting so many people, specifically a lot of people represented by our clients. Farm workers are incredibly vulnerable since they are the most directly exposed to pesticides via their occupation. But there's also concern of exposure via food and drinking water. Amen. So this this thing about poisoning humans has been going on for a long time, and they've got uh, unlimited money or have had unlimited money resources to um, cover it up, bribe, threaten, whatever you know. So here's another one. Eight alarming cover-ups and contradictions in the East Palestine train wreck chemical nightmare now spreading across multiple states. <clears throat> and this was uh, by Mike Adams, February the 27th, 2023. And he says this article may contain statements that reflect the opinion of the author. This is natural news. When it comes to explaining away the single largest ecological catastrophe in the history of America, the EPA and Ohio officials just can't seem to get their story straight. Every explanation they offer is a contradiction or cover-up, and they refuse to test for the one thing that poses the greatest health hazard of all, dioxins. Hmm. Dioxins are always created when chlorinated compounds are burned within a certain temperature range. 
There are also the most deadly chemical compounds known to humankind, and they can be toxic at parts per quadrillion concentrations. That's not much. Put another way, it uh, seems that they cause toxic effects on the human body at concentrations a hundred thousand times lower than where glyphosate begins to show toxicity. That's just an estimate. The real number may be a million times or more. Uh, glyphosates are uh, chemicals in pesticides that are sprayed on our food. Yet the EPA and Ohio authorities all refuse to test for dioxins, or at least they refuse to release the test numbers publicly. No doubt they already have their own secret dioxin test uh, results, and they are panicked over those numbers, trying to figure out how to sweep this whole problem under the rug without having to face the reality of an evacuation order that will likely soon be necessary. It sounds to me like it's uh, way behind in coming. The entire town of East Palestine uh, may ultimately have to be condemned, raised, and decontaminated. Uh, I just read another article where there was a flood in an area that was de that was contaminated, and it is now spread to ten states. Uh, instead, the EPA is spreading the toxic waste across multiple states. The recent effort to ship over a million gallons of this toxic waste to Texas was uh, thwarted over the weekend, with the EPA now redirecting that toxic waste to Indiana and Ohio. The AP now reports. And then there's the issue of the tens of thousands of farms downwind from this disaster, and the countless families who depend on those farms for their food and livelihoods. If there, if there really were no dioxins or dioxins to be found, the uh, EPA should have already conducted tests, found nothing, and released the all-clear test results publicly. Why haven't they done that? It's obvious. They're covering up the dioxin contamination nightmare for as long as possible. And um, I add, so their depopulation agenda is fulfilled. Here are just a few of the many contradictions now emerging from the EPA and Ohio government uh, handling of this incident. Number one, why are we told by the EPA that vinyl chloride toxic ignition fallout fumes are perfectly safe to live with, but carbon dioxide, which is necessary for all plant uh, photosynthesis and rainforest growth, is a deadly pollutant that threatens human civilization. Well, because of their science, right? Um... Number two, why are we told that the toxic chemical runoff from the firefighting 
water sprayed on the chemical fire is so toxic that it has to be injected deep underground so that it won't surface for thousands of years. But that's a lie, I can tell you. Uh, going on, he says, but also that the land and the water where all those chemicals rain down is now perfectly safe and there's nothing to worry about. Well, they injected poisonous chemicals in the earth uh, in, down in Pensacola where I lived. And it was all over the newspapers and so on. And now there is a huge dead zone in the Gulf where nothing lives. They said it wouldn't come out. It did. Continuing, it says, when it falls on your farm, it's safe. And when it falls on the sidewalk, it's a deadly hazardous waste that must be disposed by an EPA licensed hazardous waste disposal company. In other words, somebody who is a partner in crime, right? Number three, if the Texas-based hazardous waste disposal company, Texas Molecular, is already licensed to dispose of vinyl chloride, then why didn't the railroad just mop up the vinyl chloride and send it to Texas Molecular instead of setting it on fire, creating millions of gallons of contaminated firefighting water? Yep, and you might say uh, nothing of going up into the air and covering the earth. Aren't you guys glad for Psalm 91, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, meditate on those things and you will see this is all going to come out. So, I mean... Just think, you would uh, only be uh, dealing with a few hundred thousand gallons of toxins instead of millions of gallons of toxic water, plus the toxic cloud fallout, etc. So whatever happened to the idea of containment? Yes, they, they do exactly what they need to do to depopulate. Why are both the EPA and Ohio State authorities completely unwilling to test the surrounding farms for dioxins, which are toxic at parts per quadrillion exposure concentrations? But they claim everything is safe enough for families, children, and pregnant women to return. Hmm. That sounds like what happened down there in the Gulf, you know, when they poisoned the whole Gulf. And um, they quit testing. They said, just sniff it. It's the sniff test, right? If it smells okay, you can eat it. Can you believe that? It won't be long before children are born with birth defects and missing limbs. The EPA already knows this. Maybe they plan to Tiffany Dover. You remember the lady who took the shot uh, on camera and fell over dead. Maybe they plan to Tiffany Dover all the deformed babies or call for post-birth abortions to hide the evidence of their crimes against humanity. Why do people who already left East Palestine 
and uh, healed from their original exposure start getting sick again when they return to East Palestine. That's the same thing as when people went to walk on the beach down there in Pensacola and that uh, uh, poison soaked through their skin into their bodies. Every time they walked on the beach, they got sick. And people who died, they discovered that this was in their blood. So, uh, Breitbart.com reports on this, revealing how people who feel better after they leave the area begin to experience horrible symptoms as they return. Maybe it's something in the air. <laughs> Number six, every decision made by authorities about how to handle the chemicals had the result of spreading them, not containing them. This could only be done on purpose. You couldn't write a better script for how to spread toxic chemicals across multiple states, running the toxic water to Texas and Indiana while unleashing a toxic cloud over multiple northeastern states. If containment was the goal, the EPA failed miserably. If only they could contain these toxic molecules as effectively as they contained news about Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> Number seven, if East Palestine first responders had a 1.8 million gallons of water to spray on the fire that officials ignited, then they also had enough water to put out the initial small fires that they claim placed the tanker cars at risk which led to them emptying those cars and igniting the vinyl chloride. Clearly, they had millions of gallons of water available to put out fires. So, why didn't they put out the initial fire and stop this entire disaster from the beginning? It was clearly a planned thing. They had time. Which genius came up with the idea, hey, let's set the fire to these um, chemicals because they will make them uh, go away? Yeah. We are told that they had to set fire to the vinyl chloride, which had been emptied from the rail tanker cars, to prevent the risk of a tanker car explosion causing shrapnel injuries. But if the vinyl chloride was already emptied, from the tanker cars, the shrapnel explosion risk was already eliminated. Hmm. In other words, the moment the tanker cars were emptied of the chemical, they no longer had any justification for starting any fire at all. So why did they do it then? The likely answer is somebody ordered them to do it, and they needed a cover story. Straight-up ecological terrorism disguised as a railroad accident. We're not actually being ruled by idiots, you see. We're being gaslit by terrorists. Also watch for the launch of dioxins.news and read about EPA corruption and failures at epa.news. East Palestine residents issued a list of demands to government demanding action following the train derailment chemical catastrophe. And this was by 
Ethan Huff, 3223, Natural News, an Ohio nonprofit group called River Valley Organizing has created a list of demands for Norfolk Southern to accommodate locals who were harmed by the disaster. Concerned residents need help relocating. One of the demands reads, another calls for an increased uh, environmental and medical testing and monitoring to ensure that East Palestine and the surrounding region is safe for people and animals. Uh, some say that East Palestine needs to be uh, continually monitored and tested well into the future for both the dioxins and uh, furans. River uh, Valley Organizing also wants Norfolk Southern to safely dispose of all toxic waste in the area while covering all the costs associated with cleanup efforts. So we heard the people of East Palestine loud and clear what they want are safe homes and independent testing, said Jamie Cozy, an RVO organizer and resident of East Palestine. It's only through coming together and demanding action that we will hold Norfolk Southern accountable and get families and businesses in our community the help that they are owed. Too much taxpayer money going to Ukraine instead of Eastern Palestine. For residents uh, that feel they need to temporarily relocate to a hotel or safe house until the chemical scourge has passed, RVO wants Norfolk Southern to foot the bill until life can return to normal. Ah... RVO also wants the Environmental Protection Agency to conduct air, soil, and water testing for dioxins, which are among the most dangerous and persistent chemicals in the world. EPA Region 5 Administrator Deborah Shore says the agency does not currently test for dioxins because it does not have baseline information in this area to do a proper test, which is a lie. I mean, they've, they've had this for many, many, many years. The Federal Department of Health and Human Services must also get involved to provide ongoing health monitoring and guarantee health coverage for residents, many of whom are reporting headaches and rashes. One such resident told the media that her child became sick after playing in a local park following the derailment. The Ohio Department of Health recently uh, opened a health clinic to help residents get screened for any medical concerns that they might have. It is free, and it allows visitors to have their vitals taken and receive a medical evaluation. RVO is also concerned about the disposable disposal of uh, toxic waste from the wreck in the Heritage Thermal Toxic Incinerator in nearby East Liverpool, which the group says has already been polluting our communities for years and will only further spread the contaminants. Finally, it is completely unacceptable for any resident of East Palestine or nearby towns to have to pay for all of this out of their own pocket. That should be the responsibility of Norfolk Southern RVO says. 
Taxpayers shouldn't foot this bill, RVO wrote in the post uh, on Facebook. Norfolk Southern made this mess. They should clean it up. Yes, but BlackRock, from what I understand, actually owns all of this and the chemicals, and um, they're totally deep state. Mm -hmm. So they're really not going far enough up the line to really make it count. In order to compile this list of demands, RVO volunteers went door to door in East Palestine asking residents to share their points of view on the matter. RVO also conducted phone canvassing and listened to residents speak at the recent town hall meeting. The EPA reported, reportedly screened 578 homes for re-entry as of February 27th. The federal agency is continuing to monitor several locations throughout the village. Compared to EPA, uh, National Air Toxics Data, NATA, 2014, some concentrations in East Palestine um, for nine out of the 50 chemicals EPA reported are higher than normal. If these levels continue, they may be of health concern, especially acrolein. Um, tweeted researchers from Texas A&M University on February 24th. So in the comments, some uh, one joked that too little is being done in East Palestine because the American government is too busy wasting taxpayers' dollars funding Ukraine's quest for power and covering up its corruption. Okay, let's go to a revelation that we received. Uh, from Isaac Payne on 1-11-23. Uh, we called it Coming Famine and Zombie Apocalypse. In this dream, I was in the town where I grew up, which is Owensboro, Kentucky. It was nighttime, but this night seemed extra dark. Jeremiah 4 and 28, he puts, For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and I have not repented, neither will I turn back from it. He went on to say, the night sky was so dark that the darkness uh, had a density to it. I found myself in an SUV with David Eels and Michael Hare in front in the front seat driving, and I was in the back seat. Well, speaking of um, Isaac, uh, Sarah laughed when the Lord told her she would birth the promised man-child, so uh, he was named Isaac, meaning laughter. So all three are typed in uh, dreams as man-child reformers here. Okay, we were driving near Town Square Mall. Town Square Mall has been around many years. It has always had a large turnover of stores inside the mall. The small stores usually always go out of business. And I believe Town Square in the last few years has gone out of business as well. David, Michael, and I were driving in the night with our uh, vehicle lights cutting through the dense darkness. 
We were driving northwest on Highway 2121. Well, we, we could represent the first fruits man-child reformers who will shine the light on the true gospel in the darkness of the world and its ways represented by the Highway 2121. The meaning of number 21, according to BibleStudy.org, is that of great wickedness of rebellion and sin. After the children of Israel left Egyptian bondage, they had 21 major rebellious events as they wandered the wilderness. The number 13, which symbolizes depravity and sinfulness, and 21 are closely related. What 21 symbolizes is an outgrowth of 13. Adding 13, which is sinfulness, and 8, symbolizing a new beginning, gives us 21, or a number that represents the beginning uh, of a new level or effort that is sinful and disobedient against God. On the last day of God's seven-day spring festival, day 21 of the month of Nisan, the Eternal uh, carried out his last judgment against the Egyptians. He drowned Pharaoh and his entire army in the Red Sea as they were pursuing the Israelites in order to make them slaves again. The last day of God's annual fall feast of tabernacles, which occurs every year on the 21st day of the seventh Hebrew month, pictures the end of Christ's thousand-year reign on the earth. At the end of this period, the devil will also be loosed out of his spiritual prison for a short time. Satan's first task after being freed from prison is to lead people once again into war and rebellion against all that is holy. He will only get so far, however, as God will execute his judgment against the satanic forces by consuming them in fire. And that's in Revelation 20 and 10. We were headed towards a farm view drive. Our approximate location was near Getz Drive. That's spelled uh, G-O-E-T-Z. And this name is pronounced Getz. Um, I think this points to uh, Bill Gates as a play on the name Getz and the eugenicist atrocities that he has helped commit, as the dream will show later. Okay, and also on the left side of the road, there were many health care services, ATM banks, and ATM cryptocurrency uh, restaurants, insurance agencies, and a retirement home. I think these types of businesses are predominantly on the left and will be collapsing due to the darkness ahead. Yes, that could be. While I was looking at the surrounding businesses, I saw a company called Asmark Institute. Upon research, I found that they are a liaison between the agriculture sector and the government, and notice also that they are located on Gets Drive. Hmm. It's interesting that Bill Gates now owns more rural farmland 
and property than anyone else in the United States. But he won't let it be farmed on. Right? So he's again uh, working towards the famine to control people. So in the dream, David, Michael, and I were headed towards Farm View Drive. I think this represents the farming or agriculture industry and that it is going to take a massive hit. It, yes, it is. I believe a famine will spread across the world and it seems to be a man-made. However, we know who controls the hearts of men, our sovereign father. And as we were driving, we started seeing zombie people that were walking in the fields and were primarily on the left side. Not completely, but primarily on the left side. So on both sides of the road, they had these people, right? So the walking dead <laughs> represent people who not only have been vaccinated, but also people who will be poisoned by the environmental toxins in the air, food, and water. And the masses of zombies were aimlessly walking in the darkness, and I knew in the dream that these were the vaccinated. As we have discussed before, the vaccine takes away any fervency for the Lord and dumbs a person down. Uh, changes their DNA. David, Michael, and I continued driving in the midst of the road. I would say probably avoiding the zombies on both sides. Heading northwest. Secure and safe in the SUV with our lights on. So John 8 and 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, like the walking dead, right? But shall have the light of life. And then I woke up. Good point, good point. Lord, bless us to walk in the light of your word. If we walk in the light as you are in the light, the blood cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Amen. Okay, Vanessa Weeks got this, 2, 7, and 23. More manipulation from the beast. I dreamed that I was in my bedroom and standing in the front of my dresser. I was thinking about how almost everyone was wearing masks again because of the fear of a sickness that was spreading. I knew I would not wear the masks and was not afraid. Well, fear hath torment, right? The thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. <laughs> That's what it said. These masks had to be worn with rubber bands to stay on your face. And uh, Barry said this. That's Vanessa's husband. This made me think of them tightening down restrictions on the people. And Vanessa went on to say, I had visions in the dream of small paper bags like lunch bags of rubber bands used for this purpose. And they were all narrow and, all, and most were dull colors 
like gray and brown. Yeah, okay. The lunch bags could represent the connection between needing to wear masks this time around, not because of a virus, but because of environmental contamination, which would affect people's food. Since it's been uh, proven that the masks themselves are hazardous to your health, we could say that uh, gray and brown represents death by the Nazis. Yeah, gray represents death and brown represents the Nazis. And Barry said, I think this well captures the mood that this put people in before of fear, resignation, and depression. I asked the Lord for a word about the rubber bands and received by faith at random Jeremiah thirty-one eighteen in context 18 through 20. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Um, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a calf unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Well, this certainly implies a truth that God uses the wicked to chasten his people and to bring them to repentance. And all of this is for a foundation for a great revival, I'm very sure. Remember when Jesus came the first time <laughs> in the New Testament and um, there were a lot of sick people just waiting for him and uh, to give glory to God. He, his uh, words were confirmed by signs and wonders, and so it shall be in these days. Verse 19, Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. This reminds me of a lot of people who are now discovering what they they fought for, which is these vaccines, is now being shown to them as very destructive. Verse 20, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my heart yearneth for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, says the Lord. Yes, God is sending wonderful healing revivals across the land. Also, I knew that someone stole Bill Clinton's bag of rubber bands from his residence. These were all wide and green, and this sack was on my dresser. And Barry said this, he said, Could these represent the Green New Deal that these forces are trying to implement globally? Or in a widespread way? Yeah. I said I did not want them because of where they had been. And also I knew that Obama was hanging around in this dream. Well, we, we think of that. Uh, we saw in uh, 3 one twenty three broadcast, the, the beast to bring in the harvest, number one, 
that Alexander the Great was uh, seen to be Obama uh, and will be succeeded, uh, will succeed the Trump alliance beast in history. Amen. Alexander, of course, conquered um, the Medio Persian Empire, which is Cyrus's empire, which is Trump's uh, empire in type. So, I asked the Lord for a word about this dream and received by faith at random Psalm twenty-two twenty-nine with my finger on cannot keep his soul alive. In context 27 through 19. 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the ruler over the nations. So you see, people need to realize the sovereignty of God and realize that God is chastening right now. And we haven't seen the end of it. We're only seeing more more likely the beginning of it, right? All the fat ones of the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he that cannot keep his soul alive. So there are many judgments that are being unleashed on the populations of the earth by God through the deep state and uh, tribulation beasts. Many more terrible judgments prophesied in the word are on the way. But we must resist the temptation to become fearful for our own lives and for the lives of loved ones that we are praying for. The word has very encouraging news for the bride concerning the children of her bereavement. But it's important to remember that we ourselves are, as well as our natural and spiritual children, have the promise of sanctification and salvation only if we follow the Lord in faith and sanctification. Yeah. So, keep that in mind. I'm going to talk to you about saving our children by faith. We're told in 1 Corinthians 7 and 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified in the brother. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now that means... Uh, when we're a sanctified believer and believing for them, they're reckoned as clean since God gives us that benefit. We can see this promise again here in Deuteronomy 12 and 28. Observe and hear all these words which I command thee that it may be may go well with thee and with thy children and with thy children after thee forever. When thou goest, uh, when thou dost that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. So we can read this to say, if you observe the words of God, then your children will prosper. Right? Amen. So there are some conditions put on this promise. And uh, we're also told in Psalm 102 and 28, uh, the children of thy servants shall continue. 
and their seed shall be established before thee. So those people who serve God are his servants and not those people who just claim Christianity, but those who serve the Lord. What happens to our children when we don't serve the Lord? We have his warning to us in Hosea 4 and 6. It says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. Let me say that most of the church has rejected knowledge. They believe insane things that have nothing to do with Scripture. They rejected knowledge. They rejected anything supernatural. They rejected being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidences of the gifts which God gave to us. They rejected these things. He said, Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I also will forget thy children. See how terrible. Need to seek out the word in your heart. The word is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is a threat from the Lord that if we forget him, he will forget our children. When somebody has enough fear of the Lord, like in Proverbs, especially chapter 1 and 7, 4 and 7, 9 and 10, Psalm 111 and 10, etc. They need only a little faith to believe in God and the word teaches household salvation as a benefit to the believer. For instance, Acts 11 and 14 says, Who, that is Peter, by the way, shall speak unto thee words whereby thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. And Acts 16 and 31. And they, they refers to Paul and Silas, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, thou and thy house. The children of the bride corporate body who are typed in the scriptures as Zion or faithful Jerusalem will come into the kingdom by multitudes in a great revival. Isaiah 60 and 1 says, Arise and shine for thy, this is the bride, light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. So first the seed is sown in the heart of the bride who can pass it on to her children, and that seed is what brings forth fruit. The seed is in the fruit. If a person doesn't have fruit, they don't really have the seed. And Isaiah 60 and 2 says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the nations shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see, they all gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far. Thy daughters shall be carried in the arms. Wow. 
So these children represent, I believe, the physical and spiritual children of the bride. Amen. Many, many children uh, will come to Zion, which is their true mother and uh, true biblical leadership underneath David, uh, the man-child ministry which is, of course, the uh, leader over faithful Jerusalem in type and shadow, right? Zion, the bride, is Jerusalem, the faithful Jerusalem. And the Lord has placed the bride over the rest of the body, and he's placed the man-child over the bride. Isaiah 60 and 5 says, Then shalt thou see and be radiant. Thy heart shall thrill and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea now we're told in Revelation 5, 9 and 10, 11 that the sea is the peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues shall be turned unto thee. This is speaking of a great revival. The wealth of the nations shall come unto thee. And sixty fourteen says, And the sons of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion. And again, this is the corporate bride. The Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So there are terrible things coming upon the world, but God is going to use them to cause many people to repent and to fear him and to turn to him. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? God raised up his man-child Jesus to bring many children to Zion the bride, and that's especially seen here. Isaiah 49 and 7 says, for thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth. So as we've learned, this is speaking about Jesus. To him whom the nation abhorreth, uh, to a servant of rulers. This is Jesus, and it's Jesus in the man-child body in our day, too. Remember that Jesus said, Matthew 10 and 40, he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. We need to understand that no matter who the vessel is that God is using, when God speaks to us or leads us through that person, he holds us accountable to him. In Isaiah 49 and 7, on down, we're told, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful, even the Holy One of Israel, who hath chosen thee. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I answered thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to raise up the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages. 
Well, yes, they had departed from their land. They had departed from Jerusalem. They had departed and been taken captive. Verse 9 goes on, saying to them that are bound. So, they're in captivity, but God is about to tell them that they've been set free. And he says, go forth. You know God can do that at any time. He is sovereign. He turns people over to the tormentors and he turns them loose. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways and on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them will lead them, even by springs of water will he guide them. Amen. And where is the guiding, is he guiding them to? He tells us here in verse 11, And I will make all my mountains a way. That way is for the redeemed to come to Zion. And my highways shall be exalted. Lo, these shall come from far. And lo, these from the north and from the west. And these from the land of Sinim. Sinim is, uh, refers to all the lands of the east, right? Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people and will have compassion upon his afflicted. So this is when God's timing has been fulfilled. Praise the Lord, right? Isaiah 49 and 14 says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me. The Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, these may forget, yet will not I forget. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. My Thy walls are continually before me. So these are the walls of Zion, who is the bride, right? Walls represent uh, separation, and here they represent the sanctification that the corporate bride will have. Now he says in verse 17, Thy children make haste. Here it is once again. Here is the time when God gives that grace for his people to go forth and depart from the darkness. Thy destroyers and they that made thee waste shall go forth from thee. He's talking about his children, their children, the bride's children. Those who crucified the bride from uh, the apostate church will repent or they will flee and her children, spiritual and physical, will come to her. Verse 18. Lift up thine eyes round about and behold all these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, says the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them as with an ornament, and gird thyself with them like a bride. Praise God. There's the bride and her children. 
Isaiah 49 and 19 says, For as for thy waste and thy desolate places and thy land that have been destroyed, surely now shalt thou be too straight. So this is the Hebrew word yatsar, and it means be restricted, narrow, scant, cramped. For the inhabitants and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The road will be too narrow for those who persecuted the bride, and they will separate from her, as we've seen throughout history. Um, but then, in verse 20, the children of thy bereavement, these are children she lost, they were born and taken into captivity, shall yet say in thine ears, the place is too straight for me, give place to me that I may dwell. So in other words, those who return will need grace. It is a narrow way. It doesn't start out that narrow, but it gets narrower the further we go down it, right? So, um, well, we've all seen children go astray. Um, the Bible says, raise them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's God's promise to those who are faithful to him, right? So God gives us a little leeway because of where we're coming from. But where we're going to, the way gets narrower and narrower. And that's what the Word teaches. You can read our book, uh, Sanctification Before Blessing. Uh, it'll be a blessing to you. It's on our site, by the way. It's a PDF and it's without charge. Uh, Isaiah 49 and 21 says, Then shalt thou say in thy heart, Who hath begotten me these? Yeah. How did these children come to be saved, right? Seeing I have been bereaved of my children, and I am solitary and exile and wandering to and fro, who hath brought up these? You know, when we don't have to be the ones to bring the children to the Lord, you know, he's going to do it. We uh, enter into the rest through faith and we believe. And of course, anytime God uses us to have an opening, we share a little thing with them. Not so much to turn them against us, but um, something that they can think about. You know, you have to be careful not to go too far in a lot of cases. So these are talking about new children who were being prepared in secret among the nations and are now coming to the bride. Behold, I was left alone. These, where were they? You know, when Job was being persecuted by those uh, three friends who were so factious, they obviously uh, you know, divided his family from him. And, um, you know, it was uh, very clear that um, the Lord uh, brought his family back, you know, uh, even uh, as a type resurrected from the dead, right? Behold, I was left alone. These, where were they? 
So the bride didn't know them, but God is preparing these people to be nurtured and fed by the bride. And when John the Baptist spoke about Jesus, he said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, John 3 and 29. Meaning those disciples whom Jesus was leading were the bride of the first fruits at that time. So the bride asks, These, where were they? And the Lord answers her in Isaiah 49 and 22. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my ensign to the peoples, and they shall bring thy sons in their bosom, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. Well, as it was uh, with Joseph uh, in Genesis, like 39, 21 through 23, and 47 and 6, and so on, uh, and as it was with Daniel in Daniel 5 and 29 and uh, 6, 1 through 23 and 28, the people of the beast corporate body will humble themselves to take care of these people, even while persecuting the rest. God says it, uh, saints, and it, it will happen. They shall bow down to thee with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And they that wait for me shall not be put to shame. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to believe the promises. Jesus said, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them and you shall have them. Now, enduring the trial of your faith is when you see things contrary to what you prayed for. But you're supposed to hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not, because he is faithful that promised, right? So that's what this waiting for the Lord is all about. It's waiting in faith, resting in the promise, right? Be patient and wait on the Lord. He will do everything. He has said in Isaiah 49 and 24, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? So it looks like an impossible situation sometimes for our children and loved ones, you know. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? In other words, these people are the prey that are taken away from the nations. Or the lawful captives be delivered? They were in captivity because of their sins, and so they were lawfully taken by Satan's emissaries. But the Lord has mercy. The children of the bride will be set free from captivity to the beast and the harlot, which was the first message of the man-child Jesus. Isaiah 61 and 1 on down, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There it is, right? Setting the captives free. He has power to do this. In verse 2, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor 
There's grace right there. When Jesus came, he gave great grace to the people. They did not deserve it. They were stiff-necked people, right? Gave great grace. He healed them all. All of them that came to him looking for it, he gave it to them, Yeah. The year of the Lord's favor. We have a year of the Lord's favor coming. Yes. Jesus stopped reading here and he returned to the scroll uh, to the attendant in Luke 4, 19 through 20. But this and the rest of the verse is all going to be fulfilled in our day by the man-child body in whom Jesus lives by his word and by his spirit. And the day of vengeance of our God, it goes on to say, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them a garland for ashes. So you see why you must endure to the end, because God fulfills his promises. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So the man-child's ministry uh, that's going to go forth is in Second Corinthians 6 and 17. Come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. So the man-child is coming in right behind the John the Baptist ministry of our day, which is the call to repent, right? But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. Does it look impossible? <laughs> Sometimes you hear what they say and you see what they do and it looks impossible. But you can't walk by sight. You have to walk by faith. And um, faith calls the things that be not as though they were. Right? It's done. It is done. Amen. So, praise be to God. Those that have uh, gone into captivity, those that have been in captivity all along, are turning to the Lord and are coming to the bride. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. Mm -hmm. And again, that's uh, both our physical and spiritual children. We have a better covenant based on better promises. And if he saved the children of the Jews who were faithful, he will save the children of the Christians who have been faithful. Isaiah 49 and 26, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh. Well, sadly, uh, some of them will not repent, and so they won't come out of bondage. Those people will devour themselves, and uh, they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with the sweet wine, and all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So there are people whose children will not be saved, and that is because they serve their flesh. 
They don't waste any time on the Lord as they think or as they act anyway. So, hallelujah. The bride is typed as Jerusalem, as was told to John in Revelation 21, 2, and 10. She will bear many children of those who are faithful among the larger church. And Isaiah 43 and 1 says, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. So we see both Jacob and Israel are used here as types of the larger church, right? Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And verse 5 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. And I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Every one that is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, yea, whom I have made, bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Hmm. So these people have physical eyes and physical ears, but they need spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, right? And when God commands them to be released, when he says, give up, keep not back, they will come. Praise be to God. And when Jesus came on the scene, the elect came out from among the Jews and followed him. There was a mighty revival that began among the elect, and so it will be in our day. We're heading into the seven-year tribulation. We shouldn't be deceived. Those who do not believe fruit or bear fruit, excuse me, believe for fruit and bear fruit before the end of the tribulation will be cut off and fail uh, the test and fall away. Amen. Father is seeking fruit. In a parable Jesus gave concerning the end of the Jews' covenant when the faithful escaped, but the apostates went into the wrath in 70 AD. This is also a type about to be fulfilled in the end of the church's covenant because everything has to be repeated, right? Luke 13 and 6 says, And he spake this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit thereon, and found none. And he said unto the vine dresser, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why doth it also cumber the ground? And he answering saith unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit thenceforth, well, but if not, thou shalt cut it down. Now you that have followed us know what the fruit is. It is the fruit of Christ, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. That's right. 
The husbandman, the father, had given three years to the fig tree of his people to bear fruit. According to the law of first mention, the number three by itself is found in the Bible in Genesis 6 and 10. And it says, And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So the seed of the saved of all mankind was in these three. They were in the ark of grace. Genesis 6 and 8 says, But Noah found favor, or grace, in the eyes of the Lord. And the next three verses in Genesis 6, 11 through 13 speak of the total corruption of mankind and God warning, I will destroy them with the earth. God said almost the same thing in Jesus' parable after the three years. He said, Cut it down. However, the son's intercession gained a fourth year of grace. There's also a first mention in the New Testament for three, Matthew 12 and 40. Whereas Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, notice that God's grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for all mankind, symbolized by the number three, is spoken four times, possibly symbolizing that God's going the extra mile here. The father was uh, disappointed in the lack of fruit on the tree that represents his apostate people and gave command to cut it down. The vine dresser, his son, interceded for one more year's grace until he could dig about it, in other words, breaking up its fallow ground through tribulation, and dung it through persecution to see if it would bear fruit. But if not, thou shalt cut it down, he said. So we shouldn't be deceived. Those who do not bear fruit before the end of the tribulation will be cut off and fall away. Notice that the Lord ultimately is only coming for the fruit of the spiritual man, not the fig tree of the natural man. Our natural life is only the earth in which God has planted the seed of his son, the, the word, so that he bears fruit in us. Amen. That's in Matthew 13, 19-23. Only he that came out of heaven will go back. John 3 and 13. And no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man. Well, notice that um, who is in heaven is usually added here, but is not in the ancient manuscripts and has no numeric pattern. So not speaking about that. 
He said, no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven. So Christ in you is the only hope of glory. Amen. Bearing fruit is normal for those who walk by faith, but for those who profess Christ while they do not believe his word uh, in order to bear fruit, there is destruction. Jude 1 and 5 says, Now I desire to put you in remembrance that the Lord, having saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Remember what Jesus said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. How is he talking about enduring? In your faith. You keep on believing. You're justified by your faith in the promises of God. Moses also interceded and delayed the cutting down of the fig tree in his day. But some continued in unbelief and murmured, and God overthrew them in their wilderness tribulation, like in Psalm 106. Some of you would say that God uh, can't break his promise to bring us into his kingdom. But haven't you heard that God disinherits his people who do not believe? Numbers 14 and 11, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? for all the signs which I have wrought among them. And verse 12, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of thee a nation greater and mightier than they. So God had sworn that he would bring them to the promised land and then changed his mind because they did not keep their side of the covenant through walking by faith. Verse 30, Surely you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear that I would make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. God revoked his promise and then promised that they would fall in the wilderness tribulation, as in 34. You shall know my alienation, which in Hebrew means the revoking of my promise. You shall know my alienation. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do unto all this evil generation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. So the wilderness trials are to prove who the chosen believers are among the called. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay. That's Matthew 22 and 14. And because of faith and obedience, or the lack thereof, God can promise evil or good to a people and yet change his mind. Jeremiah 18 and 7 says, At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to break down and to destroy it, 
If that nation concerning which I have spoken turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if they do that which is evil in my sight, that they obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. So long before, you know, this great falling away in our day, he spoke of it in his day, which is just a type of it in our day too. So Micah prophesied the destruction of Zion, but the people repented and God changed his mind, as Jeremiah twenty six eighteen through 19 says. And in Exodus 32, 10 through 14, Moses interceded for Israel on the grounds that God promised the fathers to save their seed. Hmm. And so God repented. However, when the people continued to turn the grace of God into a license to go their own way, Ezekiel prophesied that even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there interceding, they would deliver only their own souls by their righteousness. That's in Ezekiel 14 and 14. So we must move quickly now to redeem the time for the race is to bear fruit before our individual or corporate allotted time is up. Paul said that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. And that one is Christ. 1 Corinthians 9 and 24. Those in whom Christ lives and those who live in him. Paul called this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1 and 27. So this principle of the race was given to my wife Mary many years ago in a dream. She saw us running on a treadmill and up ahead of us was a door that was closing. Then she noticed that the treadmill was deceitfully picking up speed to carry us away from the door. We had to run faster and faster to make progress. And this is the way of the world. It, it is picking up speed, departing from God. Mary said that I made it through the door just as it was about to close. And then I jerked her through. Well, Paul went on to say that the only way to win in this race against the clock is to exercise self-control in all things. 1 Corinthians 9 and 25. He then enforced this by saying, I buffet my body and I bring it into bondage. Lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. Of course, rejected here uh, represents uh, the Greek word for reprobated, meaning not standing the test. 
And Paul was saying that even after all of his preaching, if he didn't make his body serve the Lord, he would not finish the race and would be reprobated. So if it was true of him, it's true of us. It's not those who call Jesus Lord and do mighty works, but those who bear the fruit of obedience who shall enter the kingdom. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. And 22 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name, and by thy name cast out demons, and by thy name do many mighty works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So gifts and powers are wonderful and necessary, but they will not gain for us the kingdom. Only 30, 60, or 100-fold fruit can do that. And they who build their house on the rock, that stands uh, the test of the tribulations of Life, hear the word and obey it. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. The works of the flesh are listed in Galatians five nineteen through 21. And Christians are warned that they who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the works of the spirit are also listed there, but they are called the fruit of the Spirit. And God's works in us through our faith are His fruit in us. God is so awesome and so powerful. And um, He can do everything that He has promised us to do. And He will bring it to pass. And uh, hold fast the confession of your hope, that it waver not, for he is faithful that promise. As you see things in your life that are contrary to his will, just confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He wants you in right standing with him. He wants you in um, in faith and not living under condemnation so that you don't have any faith anymore to receive from him. Um, so cast down uh, vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and run with patience this race that is set before you. And do it for yourself and do it for your children. Um, God will show himself faithful to the faithful. It doesn't mean that you have manifested perfection it means that you are clean and you are sanctified and that you have confessed your sins and you have turned from them and you want to serve God and you ask him to be the power in you that will enable you to do this. Amen. So, hold fast the confession of your hope that waver not. Believe for your children so that they may come into the kingdom, and they will. 
You know, I know a lot of our children are lukewarm, and some are still out there in the world doing their own thing. But uh, the things that God is doing in the world today uh, is opening their eyes to see these are the days that mom and dad spoke about. Yes, they're happening. And um, God will open their eyes, their spiritual eyes and their spiritual ears. And he will draw them unto him. No one comes unto the Son except the Father draws. Your faith must be in the Father to draw them, not in your ability to convince them. We think that we can convince them that they will be reasonable. But you know, the only mind that is reasonable is a saved mind. <laughs> so, but, and so we, we count on our ability to convince them. But um, not so. The Lord must draw them. All of our faith must be towards the Lord. We were sinners when he drew us. And he worked in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he was very patient with us. And so he will be with them. And, uh, and we must, of course, repent. We must get in the word to find out what repent means. It means change your mind. How do you know what to change your mind to if you don't read the word? And we have to be reminded. You, you, can't, you can't read it one time or a week ago or a month ago. And expect it's going to, you know, bear fruit. The seed that the sower went forth to sow was the word of God. He sowed it in the womb of the hearts of men. And he's looking for it to bear fruit. Of course, if we, um, faith cometh of hearing and hearing by the word. If we um, hold fast to that word, we confess it, we claim it as our promise. And we endure in our faith to the end. We shall see it. God is so awesome. And his power so far above anything we can imagine. And uh, he is uh, in the process of drawing us to himself. And he'll do it for the children. And these days that are coming are going to make them know that these are the days of tribulation. And yes, and they will see the terrible things happening in the world, even as we are today, and think, wow, nothing like this has ever been, this ever happened. God's going to shake everything that can be shaken, so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. That's what we just read. Uh, a prophetic word given to the brother. So, Father, in the name of Jesus... Uh, we are claiming our promises. We are claiming the benefits of the kingdom that you have given unto us. We walk in your kingdom and we have benefits as we confess our sins and continue to believe you and the, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you that we are justified by faith and not by works. Uh, when we think we've done everything we know to do, there's a lot of things we don't know. So we must be justified by faith. And uh, let God be true 
and every man a liar, that you might be justified in your words and may overcome when you come into judgment, right? Judgment is here. It's all around us. We're watching it. And we need to overcome. We need to escape these judgments. We have the benefits of the kingdom, not because we've been perfect, but we claim his perfection. We look in the mirror and we see Jesus. We don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. It's our good confession before many witnesses. Christ lives in us. And uh, because we confess that, we believe that, we confess our sins, and then we confess him, uh, he is going to get us there. He's going to finish the good work he started in us, and he's going to bring our children in too. Glory be to God. Father, you are so awesome. We just praise and we worship your holy name. We thank you for your great mercy towards us in calling us out of this world. Look at what a drop in the bucket we are as a people. Look how multitudes out there have not been called and not been invited. And even though the invite may have been given unto them, it has not reached their soul. And Lord, we just thank you that you have drawn us and we know of you and we want to know you. And we, we want, no, Lord, to know you as we are known, as the scripture says. And we know that that which is perfect is come, and that is Jesus Christ. And he made uh, intercession for us, and he made reconciliation on the cross, meaning he gave his life for our life. We must be willing to give up our life. It does not belong to us. Nor does anything that we possess belong to us. We are stewards. And we've been called to partake of the benefits of the kingdom. Not all will do that, as the parables that Jesus shared. We've been called, which means invited. We are invited to partake of the benefits of the kingdom, of the body and blood of Christ. We've been invited. So, Father, we ask you, to work in us to willing to do of your good pleasure. We don't count uh, ourselves powerful enough to do this thing, but we count on your power. Your power is made perfect in our weakness, and uh, so we have our eyes on you, Lord. We trust in you to get us where we could never go without you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for putting grief in our heart for sin. Uh, Lord, as we go down this road, you magnify more and more, even the small sins. And as we uh, confess them and we turn to you in faith, you will uh, deliver us and sanctify us completely and finish the good work you started in us. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness towards us and, and to our children. And um, thank you, Lord, for bringing down the deep state after they finished their job. <laughs> and, and they are um, under a sovereign God, just like we are. And they have a job to do. God has already told us from the beginning of this procession of kingdoms leading up to the end times. And uh, that they are there for one thing, to bring us to our cross. They are the wicked. That's what they've been chosen to do. 
bring us to the cross. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, all right, saints. May the Lord bless and keep you. And we will do this again soon. Amen. Good night. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water make me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.